This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. So as we read Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 43, remember this is his word. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. And he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha who translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In these days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room since Lydia was near Joppa. And disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with him there went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and others' garments of Dor- that Dorcas made while she was with them. And Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. She saw Peter. She, she, when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Something's going on with these lights, my brother. They're, they're, they're changing multiple colors. And I, I don't mind preaching with a strobe light. But uh, it's a little bit distracting. There, there that's better. Okay. couple things that become uh, difficult for us as we approach a text like this is we often approach Scripture as if this is, we, we've heard this before, and I think this hinders us, Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. You know that's not actually what it means. We've put it in a song or in a rhyme or something, basic instructions before leaving earth. And when we put it in that way, what we do is a couple of bad theological things. One is we primarily look at Scripture as instructions, okay? Instructions by which we should live. And so most of us, whether we knew, whether we heard that before, really do believe that the Bible is a rule book. And so when we're approaching it, we're trying to find what we should do. Now, in the age of uh, internet passwords, it has become extremely difficult to remember all of the ways in which you are trying to protect your identity from being stolen, right? And so we sign up for a new password. We go back there a few months later trying to figure out our account information. All of us have been in that place. Now, what was my password again? So we try everything we, we try to think. Now, did I put an exclamation part and did I make a zero into a, an O? Did I make it, did I do this capital? I know there needs to be three capitals, a letter, and uh, uh, some sort of emoticon or something. I don't know what you have to do at this point. And you're trying to figure it out. And what you're doing in trying to figure out the password so that you could break in and get your own information in which you locked yourself out of. 
What you're trying to do is remember, what was I thinking that day? What's kind of normal in my own life? Because what I want is I want what I have locked up. And so in order to do that, i got to remember my password. And what we end up trying to do is remember it. And no matter how often, even in our own lives, we can't even remember what we did. So it's always a reset password, please. Send it back. Let's, let's start over. When we look at Scripture through this lens of instructions, when you hit stories like this, what you're trying to figure out is the password to get your own miracle. Right? So you start going, I want that miracle. I'd like to be healed. I'd like to be touched. I'd like to have this miracle. So what's the password? And you start trying to look for what is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to say? What are the instructions that I need to follow to get the results that I see in this text? So when we see it as an instruction manual, then that's what we begin to do. Or maybe what we end up doing is looking at it not as I don't need a miracle right now, but what I would like is that power that Peter has. I'd love to walk into towns and see people just sick and be like, get up. I'd love people to come seek me out while I'm trying to chill and they go, look, somebody just died. Come with me. People begging me to go walk into rooms and then just kind of say, get up. And dead people just rise. Towns are being saved. People are being changed. I would love Peter's life. So what do we end up doing? We end up looking at Peter and trying to unlock the power of Peter. How do we get what Peter has? How do we have that miracle? Because we see primarily Scripture as this. Or some of us fall on the other side of danger, and we look at this, and we end up going into another place. Because we cannot understand it, because we cannot figure it out, we've come up with this idea that these kinds of things, these kinds of miracles, these kinds of realities, this kind of power doesn't exist any longer. And God doesn't do this anymore. See, it makes it easier in our minds. If we can't figure it out, then we should just say, it's gone. Or we should spend our lives trying to do things to make it happen. Now, when we look at things as instructions or kind of this idea of something we have to figure out, then, or some password, and that if I do this every time, God will do this for me, what we end up doing is removing all of this from the reality of what God is trying to show us. The better way for us to approach Scripture is the way in which we approach relationship or covenant. The reality is, right, if, y'all, if any of y'all are in covenant in any kind of way, you start to figure out real quickly that what I did yesterday to unlock that kind of love is not what I get to do today to unlock the same kind of love. There's not a password to my wife's heart. 
I can't do what I did yesterday and think it's going to work today. And I can't do this every day to try to figure out, right? The reality is what happened yesterday is not what it is today, but the reality of what we're doing in relationship is I get to engage in, I get to know, I get to see, and every day there's things that happen in times ago. I thought she was going to act this way because this is what she did in the past, but now this comes up and all of a sudden she's doing something totally different. That covenant kind of relationship helps us to see what is it as we're approaching scripture where we can pull ourselves away from this reality of how do I unlock it how do I make it my own thing and then how do we not just rule it out see I don't want to fall into any of those traps I don't want you walking out of here today thinking you have a you've figured out the passcode to unlocking your miracle in your life like that's not my goal But I also don't want you walking out of here today thinking, God cannot do this anymore. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear about who God is, how he moves, so that you can see the God in which we worship and how his spirit moves, and you can start to understand the one that you are in covenant with and trust him to do what is right and good. Here's what you see taking place here. First of all, the first verse in 32 says, now as Peter, and I'm going to run through these quick, because what he's showing is, you remember the last few weeks we've been talking about this guy named Saul, right? This guy named Saul who's converted, he becomes Paul, and this whole story on the road to Damascus, and how the believers, and I'm telling you, Pastor Wayne, I went and listened to it. I was shouting in my car. I was driving. I, I wish I, he, he ripped it up last week. And I'm telling you, it was incredible to hear the story of what's happening in Saul. The transition is not a timeline to where it goes from Saul and now it goes back to Peter. The reason why all these stories are mixed in and even the way in which Luke, who the narrator, writes this is he's trying to show that while all of this is happening in Saul's life, at the same time, this is happening in Peter. Right, It's not like timeline where this is happening, now that stops and this is happening. But at the same time, as God is moving in Saul, he's moving in Peter. And this is what it helps us to see when we understand the reading of Scripture in this way. It's more like us knowing as we're watching a film, this is happening and then it cuts away and shows us something else that's happening that the other person doesn't know is happening. But you know because you're watching. While you're watching this, what you should see is this. This story must not be about Saul, and it must not be about Peter. It must be about the resurrected Jesus and how he's moving all over the place. It must be about the fact that Jesus is alive and that he is at work through his people by his spirit. What I love about that is while I sit in this room and I can look around this room and pinpoint ways in which God is working within us. And I'm telling you, I could boast the whole sermon. God is still moving and he's working in powerful ways in this church. In powerful ways. But what that helps me to do is realize that not only in this room. There's people in other congregations across our city. There's people in other states. There's people in other nations across the globe. While God is working here by his spirit, he is doing powerful things by his spirit across the world. Why? Because it's not about us. Jesus is alive. And he's showing it in powerful ways.
Jesus is moving. But the interesting thing about watching how Jesus moves is you can't figure out, why did he move this way there and this way there? Why did he do this there? Because what we see about this spirit, what we see about Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is he does powerful things, but he does them in unpredictable ways. Notice this. First story, there's a guy named Aeneas. I don't know how I said it last time, but I'm going to say it that way this time. He walks into an unbelieving town. Peter walks into an unbelieving town, makes it clear that this town, they don't know who it is. This man has been sick, paralyzed for eight years. He's been laying there. He can't do anything. People have to move him around. People have to take care of him. He wasn't looking for a miracle. He wasn't asking for a miracle. He didn't go after Peter to find the miracle. He was just laying there. He didn't seek it out. He didn't ask for it. He didn't even believe. He didn't have faith. He just laid there. Peter walks in, sees him, says, rise up. The first instruction after rise up, make your bed. Interesting. Could have said a few other things. Rise up and tell the good people what I just did for you, right? No, rise up and, hey, make your own bed. You can go, now, that's an interesting passcode. Um, Every time I heal somebody, tell them to make their bed. Rise up, make your bed. Why would Peter say, rise up, make your bed? Well, the interesting thing about this statement is it should make you think of the healing that Jesus did when he healed the paralytic. And he said, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. Peter was noticeably operating not in his own power. He was like a child mimicking the one who we saw do the healing saying, I saw Jesus deal with something like this, uh, rise up, make your bed. The power of God being demonstrated, and so much so that people in that town didn't just look at this situation and go, man, Peter's amazing. Scripture says right after he did this miracle, the town believed In Jesus. They saw what Peter was doing and they saw the miracles and they said, that sign is pointing to the fact that Jesus is still alive. Okay? If you're trying to figure out the math equation, this next miracle will mess it up no matter what math equation you get. Because in the next math equation... Or the next miracle, if you look at it, there's a totally different situation. This time it's not a man, it's a woman. This time it's not an unbeliever, it's a disciple. This one is somebody who already believes. This time it's not somebody who wasn't doing anything and just laying there. This time this woman was full of good works and acts of charity. Her whole life was filled with doing good things. And she died. 
which kind of eliminates our whole thing. If I do good things for God, he'll always protect me and I'll never be sick and poor and have problems. God, look at all the things I did for you. I'm never going to die. No, she did acts of charity. She was a believer. She was a disciple. She was a follower. Everyone knew her throughout the town. She wasn't on the side. She was needed in that town. She dies. They wash her. They put her up in the room, and they start putting on an elaborate ceremony. Now, these, these funerals were not like what we think of. Notice what they say they were doing. They would go in the room in which she had died, and they would bemoan for sometimes a week, cry and wear her clothes. Do you notice that? They were wearing the clothes in which she made. Basically like what happens with us when something we lose, and we turn on our favorite song, and we the song that was helps me think of them and we wear the clothes and we look at them. It's that reality of these things that, that made me think of them, the things that attach me, those things so that I can always remember. And They're putting on this full mourning. She's dead. She's in the room. And what happens is they go, hey, I heard about this Peter who's in the other town. You should go get him. And then they send two men. The disciples send two men and they go to Peter and they urge him. Right Now, this time, they're asking, come with us, come with us. And Peter comes to that town and walks in the room, and everybody's crying, and Peter said, and, and, you know, and wearing the clothes, and Peter says, hey, y'all, leave the room. They all leave, and it's just Peter and the dead woman. Scripture says Peter kneels down and prays, or he begins to pray, And in the middle of his prayer, he says to this woman, rise up. It's the same word that was said to Emmaus. It's the same word that we use for resurrection. It's that which means rise up. And all of a sudden, she comes alive, and Peter takes her out to the town and presents her to those who were mourning. And what happens next? Many people believe Notice this. One story, one does nothing. The other story, the other one does a lot. In one story, Peter came and found, verse 33 says, Peter found this man. In another story, they came and found Peter and urged him to come. In one story, it's a man. In the other story, it's a woman. In one, it's a, it's a disciple. In the other, it's not a disciple. In one, the miracle's done in public. In the other one, it's done in private. Everything about these two stories shows You can't figure out how, why, who, where, what Jesus wants to do when he wants to do it and how he wants to do it. Why? Because this is not about a passcode to unlock your miracle. This is about seeing, even in the second one, what does Peter do? He does the same thing Jesus does when Jairus' daughter is raised. He goes into the room, he kicks out the people, and he says to the daughter, rise. Peter, once again, is acting in the same way in which he saw Jesus act. 
the reader should look at these stories and not go, what's the passcode for my miracle? The, Peter, the, the reader should look at these and go, Jesus is still alive and at work through his people. He's still alive, he's still at work, and he's still powerfully moving through his apostles, through his people. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's doing these works. Jesus is alive. So much so that the people in those towns, when they saw this, believed that Jesus was alive. That goes into the nature of why does God do miracles? Why does he do miracles? Because we do know it doesn't take that much of theological work to read scripture and go, you know what? Jesus did a lot of miracles. So did his apostles. The people of God experienced miracles day in and day out. And then we look at our lives and we go, yeah, kind of missing some things there. Uh, So what do we do? We either work and strive to unlock the passcode or we say he doesn't do it anymore. But what does it look like to see that what's taking place in this is that through this resurrected Jesus, he is proving once again that he is still alive and that his kingdom is breaking in. I want you to hear that statement. His kingdom is breaking in. There's something about this reality of what the kingdom of God is. That there, Jesus did a lot of talk about the kingdom of God. And he shares with us what this kingdom is like. And he also says that this kingdom will come and will be fully realized when Christ comes and is seated on the throne and he makes all things new and this world is restored back to what it should be when Jesus is making all things, when he is king, when he is ruling and reigning over. When we sit on that day, that day there will be no more sickness, there will be no more disease, there will be no more death, there will be no more tears, there will be none of that. All of that will be gone. And there should be something in us that longs for that and something in that us that says, your kingdom come. As it already is in heaven, Let it break in to now. There's something in every child that should know and believe what God's kingdom is like and a boldness to say, God, would you do that now? Would you break in? I see brokenness. I see sickness. I see disease. I see death. I see calamity. I see poverty. I see all these things as it will not be. And I'm asking for your kingdom as it will be in heaven. Let it be now. As children, we should be praying for that. Why? Because if we know anything about the character of God, he's not about sickness. He's about health. That's how it will be. It's not about death. He's about 
life. It's how it will be. So when we ask, when we pray, and we say, God, would you come heal? Would you come restore? Would you come mend this broken relationship? Would you come help me to forgive and walk in this way? Would you come and do this? We're asking, let your kingdom come. We're actually asking in a way that God calls us to ask. So I would never want us to say, well, God doesn't do that anymore, and eliminate us asking our good father to do what only he can do. The other thing about this is not only does the kingdom break in in signs and wonders, it breaks in in signs and wonders for a whole other reason than for us to just get it, but for us to become a sign that Jesus is still alive and his kingdom exists and that it's breaking into this world so that people will see us. Last week, I got to watch the baptisms on on. Facebook, because I wasn't in here. And I saw one of our brothers in the first service, Ben, walk into the baptismal tank. Wes was there. Man, I wish I could have. He walked in, and my favorite part, he stood and looked at the crowd and just went. <laughs> you know why I love that? Because I think when you see someone being baptized, what you're seeing is his life is an evidence of the resurrection. His life is an evidence of the resurrection and that Christ is still alive. I don't look at it and go, I want Ben's life because I know that it's filled with addiction and brokenness and pain and poverty and struggle. But I do see that Christ has broken in and the reason he's going down into that water and coming up with this new life is to display Christ has done this work in me. Christ has done this work in me. The other thing we see in this is what we've been learning in all these texts is that this work is for all peoples. <laughs> it's for all peoples, good, bad, rich, poor, man, woman, all nations. And Peter is experiencing this. Next week, you're going to see this even more. And this point is being driven home all throughout Acts. And Pastor Wayne's going to take like 80,000 verses again and really preach this thing. I'm, I'm not lying. He. I, I'm not lying. It's a lot of scripture. I leave those ones for him. <laughs> and what he's going to talk about is the thrust of all of Acts, which is not just about miracles, signs, and wonders. It's about the kingdom of God going beyond the people of Israel to all nations. And Peter is walking in this area where he didn't think God could go. And not only is he seeing people being healed and God's using but God is using him to bring these people who he thought were far off in. If you can't follow along throughout the whole part of Acts, what you can do is at least zoom out of this one little story and step back with me for a minute and see that all of this is a big story being woven together. It's not just about these one little miracles here. It's about God moving by his spirit into all nations through his people. How do we know this? Because every time these kinds of works happen, the thing you're going to be able to see, every time, people believe that Jesus is alive. 
We cannot deny the evangelistic impact of miracles. Oh, you can do all you want to do to say miracles don't exist, but what you can't deny is when Jesus does a miracle, people believe. They go, um, yeah, I know you did your apologetics and you ran down your whole list, but I'm looking at this person who was addicted and now they're free from that addiction, and I'm going, I want that Jesus. Tell me more about that one. You see, when good proclamation is partnered with good works, signs and wonders, miracles, when a life that is transformed is seen and evident, when those kinds of things come into light, what people begin to do is going, wow, Jesus is alive. Church, I, I, I do think when we read texts like this, we should take a step back first and kind of go, why did my heart respond that way? I, I got the opportunity to kind of just test this and ask some people, like, let me read you this, and what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And almost every time, without just kind of thinking through it, there was this idea of, man, it confuses me. How do I get this? How do I... Does this still exist? Why don't we see this? All the questions of the miracles, rather than stepping back and going, what is it that God is doing? Many of us, if we're honest, we respond like Simon the sorcerer who wants to package this and use it for our own gain or sell it to make ourselves popular. We want to take the power of the Spirit and make it a thing that we can unlock for ourselves so that we can use it for our own gain. And the reality of what happens when you read something like this in context of what's happening through the narrative flow of Acts is it makes you step back and go, wow, God does powerful things. And I can't figure out how to control it. I can't figure out how to make it happen. But he does amazing, powerful things. Here's a couple things I want us to look for. First is this. As a church, I really want us to be a people that believes God is moving his kingdom forward by the power of his spirit. I want us to believe today, just as they did at that time, that Jesus is alive. Can we say amen to that, church? Amen. Jesus is alive. Can I, just, can I just look out in this room for a minute and look into the faces of the people that I get to do life with and just tell you, y'all are an evidence that Jesus is still alive to you. I've seen you in the midst of brokenness and pain and suffering, and I've watched Jesus some of you had strong faith like God's going to do something. And some of y'all, if I'm honest, gave up and God still did something in you. Some of you were looking for the passcode for miracle and God just said, I'm not doing nothing until they give up on that passcode. <laughs> you tried everything. God, I prayed this way. I fasted. I did this. I prayed. I, blah, 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 blah. I did this. And God just not doing nothing. And you're like, fine, God, reset password. And he reveals to you once again, he does what he wants. And that you need him. 
But every time through those struggles, through those pains, through those realities, as we've walked through it and we've watched God over time or immediately, some of you all saw it overnight. You prayed once and the next day you woke up and it was there. Wow, God moves quick. Then the next time you're like, God's going to move that fast again. And it takes him years. We would do ourselves favors if we didn't give up on the fact that God is still moving and moving powerfully. Because what it does for us is it sets us up to ask this question. Not only do you see what is, how do I do, but we, we have to start to look God is moving, but where does Peter end up? At the end of this story, God is setting up the next story, but I also want you to see he ends up in a house of Simon the Tanner. And you're like, well, what is that important? Well, a tanner is someone who basically skins animals. There's dead animals. It smells. They're, they're doing all these kinds of like, uh, you know, dying it. Skin. I don't know the whole thing, but basically here's it is. Those who are tanners have to be far outside of the city in isolation because nobody wants to be around them. They're considered unclean, and they're considered dirty, and they're considered the ones that nobody wants to be around. That's basically what you need to hear. And Peter is doing all these miracles, raising people from the dead, and instead of it leading him to places of elevation, it leads him to more humility. Whenever you see somebody going after power, the power of the Spirit so that they can be elevated, they're on the wrong path. When you're trying to capture a healing or a miracle so that you could be known, so that you can have more, so that you can be famous, and you're praying, God, please do this for me, and I promise if you give me all this money, I promise I'll follow you for the rest of your life. What are you doing? You're seeking something that will elevate you, thinking that it will lead you closer to Christ. Because great power in Scripture is always partnered with great humility and Christ-like humility. Christ, who is king, comes and is born in a stable. Christ, who moves in great healing and power, those healings and power lead him to a death on the cross. It's partnered with humility. Why? Because that kind of humility and that kind of love and that kind of power, those signs and wonders show how the kingdom breaks in. How God moves in broken places. Church, here, here's something I really want you to hear from me as, as I've been praying through this text this week. There's a couple of things, and I hope you can write these down. One is this. Look for powerful signs of the kingdom mixed with Christ-like humility. The reason why some of you all aren't seeing the miracles, if you will, is not because they're not happening. It's because you're looking in powerful places rather than in humble, broken places. Because I'm going to tell you this. Being in this community 
and people tell me miracles don't happen, I get to see the most broken, humble people experience the power of Christ in such amazing ways. Second is this. I do not know if God will heal this person right then. I don't know how God will move. I don't know in the ways in which he will move, but I do know this. He does move, and I get to be a part of it. So here's what I've, I've settled on. I had my kid not ask me for money as he was getting older because he knew that I would say no. So he didn't ask me. We had a conversation. He didn't ask me because he knew what I was going to say. He didn't ask me because he thought, you know, we can't afford it anyways. He didn't ask me because he already knew what I was going to do. Now, I'm not comparing myself to God, but that hurt. Because I think so often I treat God the same way. I refuse to ask because I don't want to be dependent like a child because I think I know what he's going to do and how what he's going to say. When I see somebody broken or sick or healing, I go, well, what if I ask and he doesn't do it? Then I'm going to look weak. I'm going to look dependent. I'm going to look like I don't know what I'm doing. Rather than just going, you know what? My dad knows how to heal people. My father knows how to touch people's lives. My father knows what is right. What I need to pray is what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come. Because I want your kingdom. But that prayer must be partnered with in our hearts. Your kingdom come, your what? Your will. Because I cannot assume that in me asking for your kingdom, I also know your will. Because when I ask for his kingdom, I'm also asking for his kingship. That means I'm saying what I ultimately want is your will. So here's what I'm praying. Lord, heal. Lord, deliver. Lord, restore. Lord, take care of. Lord, do what only you can do. But no matter what happens, I want your will more than anything. I want you to do what only you can do. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to ask for. What I'm going to experience in his kingdom healing, help. So when people come to me and say, Pastor, can you pray that I will be healed? Yeah. I'd love to. Lord, I know that you're the only one who can heal. You are the healer. Would you come and do what only you can do? Would heaven break into earth and could you heal them? I'm like, well, what if they don't heal? Lord, thank you for doing what your will is, knowing that you are part of it. You're the God over all, and you're doing something, and you're going to heal as you go. I trust your will more than I trust anything else. It doesn't stop me from asking. Why? Because I get to be a part of his work. Pray for and believe 
that God is showing signs of the kingdom so that people will see and know. Understand that if God is going to do those healings and work in that way and reveal himself in this way, and he will and he does, if God's doing something in your life, if he's doing something in you and you get to watch things happen, what he's trying to do is not make your life more comfortable and prosperous. What he's trying to do is show that he's still alive and he's at work. He's the Lord over all so that people can see the kingdom of God through us. So that they can see that God is still at work. There's a, an impact that takes place as God works and moves in those ways. In our brokenness, in our humility, when we're in the low places, when He does things and breaks in through healing and power, God through his power, through his will, is moving. As you see Acts, he's moving the people of God. He's moving his kingdom forward. He's at work. He's a good king. He's in control. He's still alive. So we're going to practice that today. Before we partake in communion, I'm just going to pray. There's some of you in this room who are treating Scripture like a passcode. Others are trying to say it doesn't exist. But all in all, there's so many of us in this room who have areas of brokenness and pain and struggle and sickness, disease, unbelief. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to work it out in our own strength. And what we really need is for His kingdom to come, for His will to be done. This is always really hard for me because I, I've come from different backgrounds where you know, I've seen it done wrong, and I've seen it done in weird ways, and I've seen it done this. But I, I'm not going to run it through that grid. I'm just going to tell you this. I believe God has called me this morning to just, to just pray for some of you. If you are experiencing brokenness in your life in some way, I don't know what that is. Sickness, pain, relationships being broken. Maybe it's areas in which you even caused and brought upon yourself, or maybe it's things that have been with you all of your life. And you're saying, I just, I need to pray for his kingdom to be broken into my life. I need to see dead things be raised in me. If that's you and you want me to pray for you, here's what I want you to do. Just, just raise one hand as we're praying together. And if you see somebody around you raising their hand, would you do me a favor? Would you just stretch out your hand and lay your hand on them? I'm raising my hand. Could you just lay your hand on them and we're going to pray together, church? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, that today you would show once again that your kingdom is real, that you are the king and you are good and you move in powerful and real ways. Father, brothers and sisters in this room, some are not believing. Others are trying to hold on. Others are trying to believe strong. Others are, are doing it right and wrong. Some, of the, some I don't know all their situations. All I know is you are good, and you are faithful, and you are good. And so here's what I'm praying, God. Could your kingdom be broken in there? Where there's sickness, could you bring healing, Father? Where there's separation, could you bring closeness and forgiveness and repentance? God, I pray where there is tears, would you wipe every tear from their eyes, God? 
Lord, what, as it will be in heaven, will you show each one of my brothers and sisters in this room, those who are believing in me, even those who are far off, would you show them right now that you are alive and powerful and, and working through your people, Father? Not for your, their own gain, Father, but for, for your glory. Work in them right now. The power of your Spirit. And Lord, I couple that prayer with a deep resting in faith, knowing that, God, you are going to do what only you can do. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Accomplish your will in their lives, in our lives. Move your kingdom forward by the power of your spirit. Use us for your glory, Jesus. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.